Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from a mix of experienced medical device and medtech experts. These proven mentors will show you how to master the medtech space on your own terms without going to school. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Is medtech venture capital like a rare, nearly extinct animal? You know, similar to one of those odd but interesting animals we've all seen on the Discovery Channel. Like the passenger pigeon. In fact, as recently as 200 years ago, passenger pigeons weren't anywhere near extinction. They were actually the most common bird in North America. So what's the parallel between the passenger pigeon and medtech venture capital? Answer, scarcity. Medtech VCs are becoming less and less interested in healthcare because of diminishing returns. With that said, will medtech venture capital eventually see the same fate as the passenger pigeon? Or is well-known VC Terry McGuire right in declaring that Darwin was an optimist? To help answer those questions and a host of others, enter Kevin Bitterman, principal at Polaris Venture Partners. In this interview, we learn what medtech venture capitalists like to see in a startup and how these early-stage medical device companies can best position themselves for success. Here are some of the points we're going to cover. Will the IPO market for medtech companies ever open up again? Also, what requirements would make for an attractive IPO candidate? Where do large medical device companies see the greatest opportunity for growth? What questions should medtech startups have already answered before approaching a potential buyer? In terms of a potential exit, what is more important for a medical device startup? Clinical data or commercialization? Kevin's lasting advice for early stage medical device companies. Of course, we'll cover even more interesting insights in this interview. But before we dig in, you need to listen to these brief messages from our sponsors. And by the way, if you're interested in becoming a MedSider sponsor, go to medsider.com forward slash sponsor. Again, that's medsider.com forward slash sponsor. Now listen up. The simple reality is that a conference is a huge opportunity to build relationships with extraordinary people. People who might have a significant impact on your professional or personal success. To make sure that you maximize the return on your investment of time and money, you need to become a conference ninja. Go to medsider.com forward slash conference ninja and download the free ebook. You'll find 13 steps you can take right now to make more connections at your next conference. Check it out. Medsider.com forward slash conference ninja. Go on an information diet with Medsider News. It's the quick and easy way to stay current with the medical device industry. The five most essential medical device stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox. And yes, it's totally free. So if you want to keep up to date with the latest medical device trends in a really easy way, go to medsider.com forward slash news. Again, that's medsider.com forward slash news. As a reminder, Medsider is on iTunes. Just go to medsider.com forward slash iTunes and you could subscribe to the podcast for free. That way, all the new episodes will automatically download to your iTunes account. It's super easy. Also, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate it. That really helps us out. Okay. For you ambitious med tech and medical device doers, here's your program. Hello, hello, everyone. Uh, it's Scott Nelson, and welcome to another edition of MedSider, the program where you can advance your medical device or med tech career on your own terms without going to school. And on today's program, we've got Kevin Bitterman, who's a principal at Polaris Ventures. Uh, he's been with Polaris since 2004. He obtained his PhD at Harvard Medical School, um, earned his BA uh, with, uh, with honors from Rutgers, uh, with a major in biological sciences and a minor in philosophy. So thanks a ton for uh, for coming on the program uh, today, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Glad to be here. All right. So let's first start out with um, 
The one big question, um, as I mentioned in our in our kind of our pre-interview talk, is is presuming making the assumption that the that the IPO market is pretty dried up. What do what do med tech startups need to do in order to see an M and A exit, as that's the most likely option, um, probably moving forward, at least for the foreseeable future? So that's the that's the big question um, that we're gonna we're gonna try to answer in this interview. But before we before we go there. Do you agree with that assumption that the IPA, that IPO market for you know for med tech um, is pretty dried up and, and almost non-existent? Yeah, I I, uh, I, I would say yes. I, I largely do. Um, I, I don't think it's completely closed. I think uh, you know we did see uh, Globus Medical, um, uh, fast-growing device company in the spine space, go public uh, uh, not too long ago, and that's a you know probably a six seven year old company uh that's uh, experienced some tremendous growth and i think you know market's valuing it over a billion dollars and it's actually traded up since it's gone out so uh that's uh at least a i think a sign of life on the device side so i think for uh for the right companies the right profiles there there is still a market there and frankly i think you know we need to be building companies um with both paths in mind you know, you, you can't build a company uh, at least it's our philosophy. You can't build a company just to be sold at a certain point of time, because uh, however well you try to plan that, you're you're almost definitely going to be wrong. So, building a company to, uh, uh, to to be standalone and potentially IPO at some point is actually probably the best way to uh, to to find an M&A. Um, you know, the best companies are bought; they're not sold. Sure. Uh, so, you know, we, we can come back to that throughout the course of the conversation. But yeah, but I but I think you're you're right. If you look at the numbers, it's exits are much more likely to be M&A than IPO. Gotcha. And, and, I, and, and to your point about Globus, I think re- I, at least maybe it was this week or last week, I think Sunshine Heart was another company that, that actually went, uh, that actually IPO'd as well. So I, I haven't really, du- I don't know much about Sunshine Heart and I haven't dug into that, but that's another interesting, you know, so may, maybe to your point, maybe we're seeing a little bit of a little bit of a IPO action. But, but I don't want to spend too much time on, on the IPO versus M&A. M&A is, is obviously, we're seeing an uptick in activity there, but on the IPO front, you, you just mentioned building a building a company, yeah, maybe in, in essence to, to go in both directions if that's possible. Um, on the IPO side, are there certain? It's probably a tough question to answer, but are there certain things that would make an IPO or a company a better IPO candidate versus another? Yeah, you know, I think there it's it's it, it's kind of the old-fashioned recipe of. Uh, you need a, a very, very strong management team. It starts with the people, obviously. Uh, you need a team uh, at all, uh, a full team at all levels. Uh, and, you know, you really need a growth story. You need a big market. Uh, you need, I think, to be a, uh, uh, you need to be a market leader and you need to be showing um, significant traction. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I think if you're uh, not at, you need to be close to profitability and, and, and ramping up pretty quickly uh, in, a, in a space where there's, there's huge upside. So uh, pretty simple ingredients, but I, I, I think that's what investors are going to look for. Sure. Okay. Uh, so let's, let's dig into the, uh, the, you know, the, the M&A front. Um, presuming that that's, you know, that's where most of the activity, we both agree that that's probably where most of the activity is and that, that will most likely continue to rise. Um, where do, you know, when you, large strategic companies, the Boston Scientifics, Covidians, J&J, et cetera, Medtronic, and so on and so on, these are obviously the big players that are that are that are acquiring some of this early stage technology. Uh, where do you personally see the, the greatest opportunity for growth? If I, you know, seeing it through the lens of an early early uh, stage med tech company, uh, you mean from a therapeutic area standpoint? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it's it, it, it's 
it's tough to say. We uh, we see uh, opportunities in a lot of different areas. Um, uh, you know, I think there's uh, uh, still going to be a lot of opportunity in interventional cardiology. Uh, you're still seeing a lot of growth there. Um, you know, we've uh, we've been pretty bullish on uh, uh, on CNS space actually, and I, I think there's still uh, a huge opportunity in the neurostim uh, the neurostim area. Um, and you know, I think uh, even though we just talked about Globus, I you know I think spine's been a little bit uh, been a little bit tougher. That uh, hasn't been tremendous growth, but um, uh, obviously you, you can still build something special there, as the Globus guys saw. So uh, you know, I think what, what we've been seeing primarily, uh, uh, I'd say cardiovascular, CNS, and you know, some I guess some interesting stuff happening in the uh, the GI space uh, as well. Okay, so if I if I'm a um, if I'm a a, a entrepreneurial physician and I'm not just just to throw out an idea if I and I come and I come to Polaris not that this exact situation would happen if I've got an idea you don't you're not necessarily making a determination based on whether or not that idea fits within your therapeutic biases you're just looking at the idea the market etc right so yeah our, our style of investing tends to be um uh, you know, we, we, we start with the entrepreneur. Is this, uh, uh, is this someone with a track record? Is this someone that we, you know, we want to take a bet on and, and be partners with? Uh, and then we look at the, you know, the technology. Is this, uh, you know, is this a, uh, uh, special, highly differentiated, well-protected, um, you know, potentially game-changing uh, piece of technology, uh, and then I think you you know you you check the boxes of generally these these things are going after pretty large markets, and um, you look at all the other uh, factors. But you know, we we start our our uh, our uh, review with with who are the people and and how exciting does the uh, the technology get? Sure. Yeah, and I, I actually want to come back around and ask you about maybe some of your personal uh, your personal investment psychology, I guess, for lack of a better description. Um, but it. Going back to kind of an early stage med tech company, um, what uh, you know are, are there are there some major questions that they that they need to have answered before you begin to uh, look at a potential you know exit through a uh, you know through a merger and an acquisition? Yeah, well, it's it's you know the answer to that is is kind of the uh, I, I think the unfortunate state of of device investing today. It's what everyone's kind of scratching their head about and and figuring out if we can mix. And you know we we look a little bit through the prism of um, contrasting med tech investing to um, other areas of healthcare and and not healthcare. So we're a diversified fund, uh, and each investor here is a diversified portfolio. So we all look at biotech, we all look at med tech, we all look at healthcare services and and other areas as well. And you know the most um, most of the contrasting and comparing gets done between biotech and, and med tech. And I, you know, the, the sad state of affairs for med tech is that for an early stage company, uh, you more than likely have to uh, go through the increasingly high um, uh, hurdles of uh, getting uh, technical proof of concept, getting clinical uh, proof of concept, um, taking out regulatory risk, uh, getting onto the market. Uh, and then actually taking out commercial risk um, uh, and reimbursement risk, showing that you can get this paid for and showing that you can build a business around it. And that's a very different profile um, from uh, from the biotech side, where the traditional model has been take out technical proof of concept and get some clinical proof of concept. And if you're in a big market, um, you know, if you build it, they will come. Uh, you have to build it much bigger, generally, on the device side and take it much further 
um, uh, before a partner uh, or an acquirer will show up. And I think you know that's that's part of what makes early stage med um, tech investing, especially for something that's a, a PMA path or a uh, or a heavy lifting 510k, uh, so daunting right now. Is that it's a long road and there's not much help along the way. Whereas uh, on the biotech side, uh, a, a lot of these companies have platforms can generate multiple product opportunities, can do some partnering along the way. Uh, there's there's more opportunities, I think, for non-dilutive funding. So mm. I think there's, you know, this is getting into a bit of a different topic, but there may be, you know, a, a, a chance for med tech to take a page out of the biotech book in terms of how you work with corporates, how you work with strategics, how you may do some partnering along the way. Uh, I think that's going to help the, the industry, um, uh, everyone in the industry at the end of the day. But to specifically answer your question, I think the unfortunate truth is that for most exits, if you look at the you know the big exits uh, recently in the vice space, uh, they've been revenue stage companies that uh, you know have uh, have had to prove out the commercial model um, uh, before uh, before an acquirer shows up. Right, and I want to ask you about kind of de-risking that investment from a from a from the point of view of a, of a large strategic. But before I ask that. Are we in an era now where you, you know, as an early stage med tech company, you need to be extremely strategic or very good from a strategic standpoint in dealing with large strategics if you're looking to make a, you know, an exit that in that path? Yeah, I think you do. I think you need to be a bunch of things. I need, I think you need more than ever to be incredibly entrepreneurial. And maybe while we're, you know, we're taking pages out of other people's playbooks, I think med tech investors need to, you know, look at the software and, and digital media and, and the tech guys and see what they're able to build, uh, essentially, you know, bootstrapped or an incredibly limited budgets. Um, and I think the early stage device entrepreneur, if there's a way, uh, you know, that you can bootstrap a company, um, you know, through getting some, even some preclinical proof of concept or ideally, you know, figuring out a creative way to, to get some first demand data without having to raise a significant amount of money, um, then you're, you, you put yourself in a, a far, far better position. Um, so uh, uh, I think I may have gotten off track of your question, but uh, um, uh Maybe you can remind me what. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 that. no. You were you were actually right on track. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it, no that that that's exactly what I was asking. I mean, in if if you're looking, you mentioned kind of the 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 platform, I guess, and so in, in biotech, someone has that advantage, and um, and maybe their their platform is a little bit wider versus deeper, and so there may be other opportunities for a large strategic to acquire that technology and, and build yeah. build upon that platform versus maybe kind of a a, a single kind of vertical niche, I guess for. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, guess, and I apologize. I think you were asking me about what, what can they do to um, with, with corporates and strategics yeah. early on. I think, um, you know, unfortunately for most device companies, um, you know, it does ultimately. Even if you start with an interesting broad technology, you pretty quickly narrow yourself down to a you know a single product or a you know a single uh, application in that technology. Uh, most device companies can't afford to be putting forward a bunch of products and uh, kind of diversify risk that way. So, um, yeah, I, I think at the earliest stages, um, you want to be getting as much input from from corporates and strategics. Mm. And I think going and you know asking for advice on you know what's the type of data you want to see, what are the um, you know what's the target product profile, what specs do you want to see, what kind of clinical design, um, et cetera, incredibly impactful at the earliest stages of the company. I think you'll find. You know, most of the big device guys willing um, to give you that type of feedback and and work with you along the way. So I, I think erring on the side of being a little bit more open with these guys and getting uh, feedback as early as you can. And again, I think there's a huge opportunity to sit down and have all of us think creatively about um, you know how can we um, 
how can the small companies work with, with some of the larger ones uh, in a way that, that becomes a win-win? Again, I think you're seeing a lot of new interesting models on the biopharma side where, um, uh, not to get off track, but you know, big pharma is realizing that they just can't sit around and wait for assets that, to show up at their door that are post-phase two or post-phase three. Uh, they're realizing that there's an incredible, uh, frankly, a, a financial crisis with, with early-stage investing. Mm-hmm. And they're actually rolling up their sleeves and getting involved early on and figuring out creative ways to, to partner with companies without ultimately limiting uh, the, the fate or the upside for that company. So I think that's something that hasn't really um, seeped into the device world yet, but you know, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, hopeful that it will potentially. No, that, that, that's great information. And, and to your point, it seems like it's almost um, it's almost you need you need that on the task list to check off that box is continuing to work early on with with large strategics and not just from an, a potential you know M and A exit but also from a um, uh, from the standpoint of, of you know may, maybe there's a maybe there's a different model other than an M and A that may eventually happen years down the road but if you're if you're if your communication is there early on um, the options will be uh, much more open. Uh, for some, so yeah. you know, some of those, some of those. Yeah, the, and these. At the end of the day, everyone knows acquisitions don't happen uh, overnight. You don't all of a sudden hit a, uh, a you know, a certain. Um, you don't hit cash flow break even, or you know, hit a certain reimbursement milestone, and then the you know the acquirers show up. It takes a lot of time mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to get comfortable with the technology, to get comfortable with the team, to get comfortable with a particular business model. And so, you know, starting that dialogue early and, and going through that getting to know you phase, uh, and kind of drawing them in over time, telling them this is what you're going to do, and then going out and doing it. Then, um, you know, at the right time, the you know a transaction uh, is, is uh, can be much smoother. Sure. Yeah, and and I want to ask you about one of your portfolio companies. I and, and I think it's still in your portfolio. Four eighty biomedical is that still? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, and, and that I think that probably ties into my next question because to, to answer the question, and, and we talked a little bit about this earlier, de-risking the investment for a large strategic. What can you easily answer the question of 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 where do I place the most importance on clinical data and what my what my, my what my trial looks like or you know, sales and revenue. Is there an easy way to answer that question in terms of de-risk, in terms of making this purchase look, making this purchase a lot easier for a company like J&J or Medtronic or Boston Scientific, etc. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.